Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening, and welcome back to another ad- an adventure in history. You kind of stumbled there. I did. Another. Why? Well, need- I, I mean, I, I never quite say our whole name. We are an adventure in history. That's true. The we name used, of our show. We used to be adventures in history without an an in front of it. Oh, okay. And then we switched about a year and a half ago to an adventure in history. Did I make that switch? Or did you? Um, no. When we when oh. we made the big switch, we, okay. we switched it up because technically speaking, we copyrighted an adventure in history. Okay. Good. Oh, that's good. Back at the bicentennial days. So you thought you'd go back to pa- the one that you're actually legally. Paulette was concerned that people would just start using it. Sure. And like put it on t-shirts and stuff. And we, we needed a little bit of merchandising to pay for all of that stuff. There we go. So we wanted to protect ourselves. And one of the one of the people that was volunteering was a big shot lawyer. Ooh, in Portland, and he recommended it, and then he connected us with a copyright person. So we technically copyright an adventure in history. There we go, and there's your <laughs> history lesson for the day. <laughs> That's the lesson, so we should just like talk about the weather then. There we go. If weather, we're done. It's weather, you know, it's, we live in Oregon. It's good. It always changes. It does always change. Yeah, and Washington. We live in Washington, too, some of our listeners. You think? I do. Don't we have per- listeners in Washington? Well, I assume we had listeners all over the, the All over the, the nation, world. Yes, through okay. The, through the internet. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Feel free to reach out to Mac with your complaints about that. <laughs> Am I the complaint department? Yes, you are. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. It's kind of my dream every now and then, like if, if somehow a visitor gets irate about something, usually it's not our fault and they misinterpreted like our hours and they got there too late and we wouldn't sell them a ticket. And I always kind of pretend like I'm just the guy that, that's unlocking the door or I'm just the guy locking the door. And I have this secret hope that somebody would be like, I want to write to your boss about you. <laughs> and then they would, I would give them the contact information for the executive director. And yeah. then they would like send an email and it would be me. Yes. But that's never happened. <laughs> I Maybe keep hoping. one day, one Maybe day we can hope. All right. We got anything to plug or should we get right to Let's the, the right big to giant it. show? Yeah. Cause you got places to be, you've got things to do. Yes. All right. Uh, April 11th. So this is tomorrow. Things yep. that uh, happen on this day. 1783, hostilities formally cease in the American Revolutionary War. Oh, that's 1783. So I have a little bit of a rant on this. A little bit. Because <laughs> I, I was in a summer camp once years and years ago when I was a younger man. And we had some Englishmen that were on our staff, mostly college students. And we had some young Americans that were on our staff, like 15-year-olds. And every now and then they'd like to say, hey, we kicked your butt in the revolution. And even back then, I was a bit of a historian. And I would always want to correct that notion. We won a few key battles. The key (laughs) was that we didn't lose. We did not really win. We won our independence, but the key was we didn't lose. England needed to win, and they did not win. (laughs) So, (laughs) How was your point uh, taken by those 15-year-old boys? They didn't like it, but they realized that I knew a little bit more than they oh, did. Oh, there you go. And the Englishmen just kind of rolled their eyes completely. So you didn't lose. I did not lose. There you go. So uh, <laughs> anyway, hostilities formally cease, 1783. That's good. 1814, Napoleon abdicates the throne and is exiled mm. to Elba. 
Napoleon. <laughs> I don't know what to make of him. Uh, 1876, the Benevolent and Protective Order of Elks organizes in New York City. Mm-hmm. And we have the Elks Club right here in, in Astoria. We do. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful building. It is still. Have you ever done anything major there? Because you got married at the Liberty. The Liberty, right. Well, so I mean, I was in Rotary, is. so I went there. And then, of course, there's all the regatta events there, tons of events. That's true. 1890, Ellis Island in New York is designated as an immigration station. Mm-hmm. I think we'd established once before that neither one of us has been there. Nope. I've been on the, on the ferry boat and went past it. but I've been on a plane that went over it. <laughs> All right. Uh, 1912, the RMS Titanic leaves Queenstown, Ireland for New York. Ooh. wonder how that worked out. Yeah. Uh, 1921, Iowa imposes the first state cigarette tax. Iowa. Iowa. Isn't that odd? It is. I, I had that same reaction. I wonder what was going on in Iowa in 1921. That seems early to me as well. It does. And I actually would have thought they would have had tobacco fields. So why? You think in Iowa? At that time? See, I would have thought more just, you know, corn and wheat kind of thing. I don't know. But I don't know. Maybe maybe there was tobacco. I See, mean, and, and when never, farming was to be had, right? I mean. And I'm never sure is a tax like that at we can make some money for the state coffers or is it we want to fight this. So we'll make the price higher and maybe less people will do it. And both happen. (laughs) (laughs) They do. Uh, 1951, President Truman relieves General MacArthur of duties in Korea. Mm. Yeah, we're not going to drop 20 nuclear bombs in Korea, (laughs) General MacArthur. You're a great guy. You're a a wonderful general. A bit of a uh, ego. Not going to do it. But that's not a good idea. 1962, this is just for me, the debut of the New York Mets. Oh. And they lose. Oh. Because <laughs> they were terrible Sad. that year. Uh, 1970, Apollo 13 launches. And thank goodness they made it back or else we would have lost American treasure, Tom Hanks. <laughs> right. And I don't laugh at that. You, you only encourage me when you laugh. <laughs> um, 1979, Ugandan dictator Idi Amin is overthrown. Oh. What a horrible person. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of the movie, The Last King of Scotland or something like that. Oh, that's about him story and, and just how, how, what a hideous human being yeah and i can say this because i don't think like any of his goons will show up and no hear me so I think you're okay uh, but our history highlight of the day i think i think had the most uh, impact on history 1803 the french foreign minister talleyrand offers to sell louisiana territory to the u.s oh. <laughs> what a good buy yeah that is a good <laughs> but for our local history we always have to remember the Pacific Northwest and California were all up for grabs. The Louisiana Territory only goes to the Rocky Mountains. Mm. So it wasn't like we had the complete continent yet. Right. So, But our history highlighted that Louisiana Purchase. Yep. You missed just a few. 1974, Ooh. the Judiciary Committee subpoenas President Richard Nixon to produce tapes for impeachment inquiry. Ooh, the missing... Wait, let me see if I can remember off the top of my head. 13 minutes... 12 minutes. That we're missing? Yes. I don't remember. Oh, you don't have it in front of me? I, I don't you, have I it in front of it. me, no. <laughs> but I love it when it's on tape. I mean, it, yes. when the, the, like, you know it exists, and what? you still continue to make these decisions. <laughs> why did you say it when you know it's being taped? Yes. And why, yes. That's so what always amazes me about so these many. politicians. The camera's right over on you. Over and over again. And then in 1968, uh, a little better, President Johnson signs the 1968 Civil Rights Act. LBJ. So still had had a couple years to go for still working on those two, but yeah, it's a I'm, good one. I'm so torn on LBJ because he said, did so many good things, mm-hmm. but on so many levels, he's a horrible person. 
He was in a very tough position. Yes. I think I mean, personally is the things that I'm well, just, yeah. I mean, I've listened to tapes of his and he's incredibly crass and, and okay, I don't really mind that as long as it's not in public, <laughs> but just, he was, he was terrible to his wife. Oh. He would humiliate her all the time. And then he would humiliate staff people. He would, he would demand that they come in and watch him go to the bathroom and he'd keep talking to him while he was hmm. doing his business. Unlike just, any other president we've known or heard yeah. of. <laughs> And he also had a, a preponderance of wanting to um, show his goods, shall we say. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So he doesn't make your president less than. Well, but see, that's the problem is is he civil rights. He did oh. a lot of good things. Right. Well, so. and then maybe the those who make history get to write history. or that's true. I mean, so maybe he did not and he just got to take the credit for it, right? That, that could be. Yeah. So it's always a torn with, you know, does the, the shortcomings of the person outweigh more than the good that they do in the world mm. or vice versa. Probably not. So. I, I go back to my other is that probably somebody else along the way uh, put these other motions in place. That's true. You have a, <laughs> you have a big staff. Yes. We all have big staff. And their names just us. got written right. out. All right. So something else that happened this week and this we, we've week, kind yeah. of, we kind of mm-hmm. done things about this before, but Abraham Lincoln. Yes. Cause he does make the list. Oh, he's the always number one, or, one. He's always one or two. Yeah. Um, or George and, Washington. Yeah, right, yeah, I always flip the two of them. But uh, I, I think probably more often than not, Lincoln is my favorite. Yeah. And I think the most consequential president we've ever had. Um, so April 14th, 1865 is when he gets killed. And we actually mm-hmm. talked about once uh, what was found in his pockets. Yes, I remember. Which was kind of fun. But we thought we'd talk a little bit about the assassination mm-hmm. and then uh, some fun facts, if you want to call them fun, about... You're going to call them fun. I, I will. That's okay. what I wrote on the paper. So, mm-hmm. okay. Um, so April 14th, 1865, John Wilkes Booth shoots Abraham Lincoln. President Abraham Lincoln is shot in the head at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. on April 14th, 1865. The assassin, actor John Wilkes Booth, shouted, Sic semper tyrannis, ever thus to tyrants. Um, sometimes I like to pretend I speak Latin. The uh, I <laughs> don't. Too. The South is avenged is the other part of what he yelled. As he jumped onto the stage and fled on horseback, Lincoln died the next morning. Booth, who remained in the North during the war, despite his Confederate sympathies, initially plotted to capture President Lincoln and take him to Richmond, the Confederate capital. However, on March 20th, 1865, the day of the planned kidnapping, the president failed to appear at the spot where Booth and his six fellow conspirators lay in wait. Hmm. Two weeks later... Richmond fell to Union forces. In April, with Confederate armies near collapse across the South, Booth hatched a desperate plan to save the Confederacy. Learning that Lincoln was to attend Laura Keene's acclaimed performance in Our American Cousin at Ford's Theater on April 14th, Booth plotted the simultaneous assassination of Lincoln, Vice President Andrew Johnson, and Secretary of State William H. Seward. That by murdering the president and, his, and two of his possible successors, Booth and his conspirators hoped to throw the U.S. government into a paralyzing disarray. On the evening of April 14th, conspirator Lewis T. Powell burst into Secretary of State Seward's home, seriously wounding him and three others, while George Azerot, assigned to Vice President Johnson, lost his nerve and fled. Meanwhile, just after 10 p.m., Booth entered Lincoln's private theater box unnoticed and shot the president with a single bullet in the back of his head. Although Booth had broken his left leg jumping from Lincoln's box, he succeeded in escaping Washington. The president, mortally wounded, was carried to a cheap lodging house opposite Ford's Theater. About 7.22 the next morning, he died 
the first U.S. president to be assassinated. So I don't know. Did we ever discuss this? Have you ever been to Ford's Theater or to the, the bedroom where they took him? No, I haven't. It's kind of powerful. Hmm. But what's what's always ridiculous when you see the room and the bed, you know, in pictures or, or drawings, they always show like a full bed. But Lincoln's above six feet and beds hmm. are short because people slept kind of sitting up. Oh. So his legs would have been like dangling over the oh. end of this bed. And they always show like... 20 people crowded around him, and the bedroom is really small. But, but I mean, no shot way. in the back of the head. I mean, yeah. how, how could he have been alive for much? I, th- I mean, I don't know. I just, I just, I mean, you wonder. Well, is it, I wonder if it's that they just didn't proclaim him dead. Right. Because, like, the same thing with JFK. Right. It takes they have to wait for the official, this doctor to say it. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. Booth was a well regarded actor who was particularly loved in the South before the Civil War. During the war, he stayed in the North and became increasingly bitter when audiences weren't as enamored of him as they were in Dixie. Mm. <laughs> he's just a, he's just an angry actor. Yeah. A- along with friends Samuel Arnold, Michael O'Loughlin, and John Surratt, Booth conspired to kidnap Lincoln and deliver him to the South. On March 17th, along with George Atzerod, David Harold, and Lewis Powell, the group met in, Was- in a Washington bar to plot the abduction of the president three days later. However, when the president changed his plans, the scheme was scuttled. Shortly afterward, the South surrendered to the Union, and the conspirators altered their plan. Good idea. They deci- that is a good idea. They decided to kill Lincoln, Vice President Andrew Johnson, and Secretary of State William Seward on the same evening. Mm. So I didn't, I didn't check before this. I wonder who the uh, Speaker of the House was. Yeah. Who would have been the next? Because that's who would have, yeah. Hmm. When April 14th came around, Atzerod backed out of his part to kill Johnson. Upset, Booth went to drink at a saloon near Ford's Theater, and at about 10 p.m., he walked into the theater and up to the president's box. Lincoln's guard, John Parker, was not there because he had gotten bored with the play and left his post to get a beer. Booth easily slipped in and shot the president in the back of the head. The president's friend, Major Rathbone, attempted to grab Booth but was slashed by Booth's knife. Booth injured his leg badly when he jumped to the stage to escape, but he did hobble outside to his horse. Now, meanwhile, Lewis Powell forced his way into Seward's house and stabbed the Secretary of State several times. Booth rode to Virginia with David Harold and stopped at the home of Dop. Samuel Mudd, who placed splints on Booth's legs. They hid in a barn on Richard Garrett's farm as thousands of Union troops combed the area looking for them. The other conspirators were captured, except for John Surratt, who fled to Canada. Okay, so quick side note. Harry uh, Samuel Mudd, Dr. Samuel Mudd was the doctor that helped him. Not really in on the plot, but his name is Mudd. That's where it comes from. Oh, really? Yeah, it's from this guy that he was so hated because he helped... Yeah. Fix him up, then how did dare he know? You? I mean, maybe he, yeah, he, he did. Yeah, okay, <laughs> so, word is out. But, but his descendants have tried for years to try it at like, hey, he was kind of forced to, and he, he really wasn't friendly to the guy. Uh, but that's where that phrase comes from. Your name is Mud. You're really talking about uh, Dr. Samuel Mud. Wow. And then the other thing, um, not to get really bloody and gross, but uh, the Lewis Powell guy, he was like this huge guy. And it was incredibly violent. Mm. How many times he stabbed the secretary of, of uh, yeah, uh, state state yeah. there, William Seward. And Stewart had been injured previously was in like laying in bed and had some bandages around his neck. And that's what stopped him from being totally killed by this attack. The bandages oh kind of blunted the knife a little bit. How awful. Yeah, it really is kind of amazing and awful. 
So when the troops finally caught up with Booth and Harold on April 26, they gave them the option of surrendering before the barn was burned down. Harold decided to surrender, but Booth remained in the barn as it went up in flames. Booth was then shot and killed in the burning barn by Corporal Boston Corbett. On July 7th, George Azerot, Lewis Powell, and David Harold and John Surratt's mother, Mary, were hanged in Washington. The execution of Mary Surratt is believed by some to have been a miscarriage of justice. Although there was proof of her involvement in the original abduction conspiracy, it is clear that her deeds were minor compared to those of the others who were executed. Her son, John, was eventually tracked down in Egypt and brought back to trial, but he managed, with the help of some clever lawyers, to win an acquittal. So I'm always torn on on Mary. There was a little bit of horror of a woman being hanged next Mm -hmm. to these guys. And whether she was just aware of it, which is what I kind of think, she because she was there when they were planning, but she wasn't really sitting at the table and plotting, at right. least to the best of everybody's knowledge. So I'm I'm always a little torn, and historians are as well. Yeah. But I also love the the just in this time period, picturing tracking a guy down in Egypt and bringing him back, right, and then getting <laughs> off. I mean, they didn't yeah. like grab him and put him on a plane. I would think to her defense, too, there's not really much women or a, a wife could have done either. So had she turned to men, she was still custody or, you know, property yes. of her husband. Yeah. So yeah. it wouldn't have worked out for her well, probably she's, she's, anyway. She's the mom, isn't she? Oh, is did she I the mom? That? Yeah. Oh, yes. Or did I misremember? Yeah. And she's kind of like serving drinks and things like that. His mother. So, yep. Yeah. Billy, are you going to have your friends over again? Yeah. Should I get cheese doodles so. for you? <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of feel badly. I mean, maybe some prison time because you were aware and it's the president for crying out loud. Right. But being hanged right with the guys, I don't know about that. We so. have to ask her. All right. So so 10 things you may not know about the Lincoln assassination. I took out fun facts. So okay. it's just 10 things ten you things. may not know. And one of them we, we've already kind of covered. But number one, Booth initially planned to kidnap Lincoln. After meeting with Confederate spies in the summer of 1864, Booth spearheaded a plot to abduct Lincoln, bring him to the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia, and use him as a bargaining chip hmm. to secure the release of rebel prisoners. On March 17, 1865, Booth and his fellow conspirators hid along a country road in Washington, D.C., intending to commandeer the presidential carriage that was scheduled to carry Lincoln to a matinee performance of a clay at Campbell Hospital to benefit wounded soldiers. Lincoln, however, had a change of plans and never showed. Some of the co-conspirators abandoned the plot thereafter, and Booth soon had a change of plans as well. After the fall of Richmond and Confederate General Robert E. Lee's surrender, he decided to kill rather than kidnap Lincoln with help from the remaining co-conspirators. Interesting. So number two, uh, Ulysses S. Grant was originally scheduled to be at Lincoln's side. Just days after accepting Lee's surrender, the Union General accepted Lincoln's invitation to attend Our American Cousin at Ford's Theater on the evening of April 14, 1865. The General's wife, however, had recently been the victim of Mary Todd Lincoln's acid tongue and wanted no part of a night on the town with the First Lady. Grant backed out, citing the couple's desire to travel to New Jersey to see their children. <laughs> I want to spend time with my family. I love that excuse. So that, that goes back to 1865. <laughs> Lincoln had a surprisingly difficult time finding a replacement. Secretary of War Edward, Edwin Stanton, Speaker of the House, Skylar Colfax, and even son Robert Todd Lincoln turned down the tickets before Clara Harris, daughter of New York Senator Ira Harris, and her fiancé, Major Henry Rathbone, accepted. So there goes the answer of who the secretary of the uh, or the uh, yes. speaker of the house was. Yeah. So we could have had uh, Speaker Shiler Colfax become the president. Hmm. 
That would have been something. So I, I'm amused at like Grant just bowing out. Sorry, I'm uh, making uh, plans to go to uh, New Jersey. Yeah, that's right. it. Now I'm curious too. What did she say? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Acid tongue. Yes, I love that. <laughs> it's very descriptive. Yes. Uh, so Lincoln's murder was part of a larger plot to decapitate the government. Booth and his conspirators plotted to not only kill Lincoln, but Grant, Secretary of State William Seward, and Vice President Andrew Johnson. Grant's unexpected departure removed him as a target, and George Atzrod lost his nerve and failed to follow through on his assassination to uh, assignment to slay Johnson at his residence in the Kirkwood Mo- House Motel. Apparently, he stood outside drinking for quite a while, trying to like build himself up, and oh. then just couldn't do it. Uh, at the same time, Booth shot Lincoln. Lewis Powell stormed Seward's house and repeatedly stabbed the cabinet member who was bedridden after a near fatal carriage accident. Oh, there you go. So there we go. I'm good. I'm glad I remember that. Yeah. Seward somehow survived the savage attack. Oh. Four, the lives of the Lincoln's guests at Ford's Theater ended in tragedy as well. After shooting Lincoln, Booth slashed Rathbone's left arm from his elbow to his shoulder. Rathbone recovered from the stab wounds, but not from the trauma that night. After marrying Harris, who also happened to be his stepsister in 1867, he grew increasingly erratic and perhaps suffered from post-traumatic stress. Two days before Christmas in 1883, he fatally shot and stabbed his wife before stabbing himself repeatedly in a suicide attempt. Once again, however, he survived the knife wounds. Rathbone lived out of his remaining three decades of his life in an asylum for the criminally insane. The fourth member of the presidential box on the night of the assassination, Mary Todd Lincoln, was herself institutionalized in 1875. Good Lord. Pretty sad. It is. Uh, Lincoln's death was not universally mourned in the North. Mm. Surprise. As Martha Hodes recounts in her book, Mourning Lincoln, some Northerners who thought Lincoln too dictatorial and some radical Republicans who thought him too lenient toward the Confederacy welcomed news of his assassination. After a meeting of radical Republicans, hours after the shooting, Indiana Congressman George Julian recorded in his diary that the universal feeling among radical men here is that his death is a godsend. I like that they actually consider themselves radicals. I know, and, and in our script we're reading, it's capitalized. So this is like yes. a group. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Michigan <laughs> Senator Zachariah Chandler wrote to his wife that God had permitted Lincoln to live only as long as he was useful and then substituted a better man in Johnson to finish the work. Mm. Ouch. Yes. And that's before Twitter. <laughs> Number six, Mary Todd Lincoln thought the vice president was involved in the conspiracy. Hours before shooting Lincoln, Booth had mysteriously called on Johnson at the Kirkwood house and left a handwritten calling card that read, don't wish to disturb you. Are you home? J. Wilkes Booth. The first lady, as she wrote to a friend, believed, quote, that miserable inebriate Johnson had cognizance of my husband's death. Why was that card of Booth's found in his box? Some acquaintance certainly existed, end quote. Azarot's failure to attack the vice president was even seen by, as some by, as of proof of Johnson's complicity. I like that she calls out the uh, miserable inebriate. Yeah. <laughs> because he, he had a, a public reputation of being a bit of a drunk. Oh. And it may or may not have been, I guess, worthy. Um, but he had given a speech. I don't know if it was at the inauguration. But he'd had like some illness. I don't know if it was a toothache. But he had drunk a whole bunch oh. to soothe whatever pain he had. And he was slurring his words, and everybody knew that he was drunk. And I don't think that they accepted that it was a Just legitimate medical things. reason. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that acid tongue of hers. Seems like there so. could be a connection. <laughs> Lincoln and Booth had a previous encounter at Ford's Theater. Hmm. 
Wow, this is where, like, spooky music time. On November 9th, 1863, the Lincolns watched a performance of The Marble Heart, starring John Wilkes Booth at Ford's Theater. That's weird. Mary Clay, one of Lincoln's guests, recounted after the assassination that twice Booth, in uttering disagreeable threats in the play, came very near and put his finger close to Mr. Lincoln's face. After Booth gestured menacingly toward the president a third time, Clay said, Mr. Lincoln... He looks as if he meant that for you. Hmm. The president replied, well, he does look pretty sharp at me, doesn't he? Wow. Huh. (laughs) That's interesting. Uh, Eight. Uh, Lincoln's deathbed quickly became a tourist attraction. In the hours after Lincoln died in the back bedroom of William Peterson's boarding house across the street from Ford's Theater, souvenir hunters ransacked the property and snatched numerous relics of the martyred president. Deciding to cash in himself, Peterson began to charge admission to the hundreds of curiosity seekers who came each day to see his bloody deathbed, which incredibly continued to be slept in by tenant William Clark each night. Peterson fell into financial difficulty in 1871 and died after being found on the lawn of the Smithsonian Institution following an opium overdose. <laughs> There's a lot to digest there. Lots of bad I'm, things happening. I'm, I'm kind of okay with creating a tour spot. <laughs> right. If, if people want to see it, go ahead and charge. Sure. I'm okay with that. But I'm really creeped out that the guy kept sleeping in that bed. Right. Uh, although, I mean, it makes sense that they didn't wash the sheets because that's the attraction. But, but he's sleeping in bloody yeah. sheets. What's wrong with Mr. <sighs> William Clark? Yeah. All right. Uh, Robert Todd Lincoln was in close proximity to two other presidential assassinations. Hmm. So three of them. 16 years after being bedside for his father's death, Robert Todd Lincoln was serving as President James A. Garfield's Secretary of War when he witnessed Charles Guiteau fire two gunshots that mortally wounded the chief executive inside a Washington, D.C. train station. Garfield, one of my favorites. Uh, On September 6, 1901, Lincoln arrived in Buffalo to attend the Pan American Expo at the invitation of William McKinley only to learn that the president had just Mm. been shot. Lincoln visited McKinley's bedside several times before the president ultimately succumbed to his wounds. Awful. Okay, uh, if I'm president, I don't want Robert Todd Lincoln around me. Right. You're bad luck, dude. You're very bad luck. Another deadly tragedy struck Ford's theater during the funeral of Booth's brother. When John T. Ford attempted to reopen Ford's theater to performances on July 10, 1865, Stanton, who was opposed to its ever being used again as a place of public amusement, dispatched heavily armed soldiers to prevent the show from going on. The federal government eventually purchased Ford's theater for $100,000, gutted the auditorium, and converted the building into a war department offices. On June 9, 1893, at the precise moment when funeral services for Edwin Booth began inside New York's Church of the Transfiguration, three floors of Ford's Theater collapsed into the basement and killed 22 federal workers. It's cursed. Wow. I didn't. Did you know that one? No, I hadn't I heard that one. And I had to think. Now, oh, I toured Washington, D.C. when I was in the eighth grade. So now I'm curious, was it a replica of Ford's Theater? Am I totally just thinking of some other place? Oh, I don't know. I'm now confused, and I'm going to have to go check. Go look. (laughs) Well, it does say the bottom floors. Yeah, and I'm thinking it's possible that we just saw the location. That's true, the outside, like maybe the outside. But I kind of distinctly remember like looking from the hallway at the balcony seat, Hmm. like the little overlook seat that he was in. And picturing, like, this is where the guy creeped, and this is where he pulled out his gun. And it's just two seats right in front of you. So, because even as a kid, I was, I didn't know 
right. history was going to be a career, but I was always interested in, and when you could actually like walk in the footsteps right. of where somebody was. Sure. And is it a small theater? Was it, I mean, I picture that's something kind of, that's small. That's my memory. Is it was not it was a small. Liberty Theater or anything. It was smaller than that, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm kind of picturing like Like a neighborhood. People. Yeah. Like a with a couple little balcony seats on either side or maybe just yeah. one side because he jumps after he shoots him. He right. jumps from that and hits the stage. Oh. So, but, but now I'm very now disturbed you, by my memory. Yeah. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I made it all Did up. Did that really maybe, happen? <laughs> maybe I never visited Washington, D.C. at all. <laughs> Although I have proof because my trip, we went to the, uh, the FBI headquarters. Oh, fine. And they took us down to the machine gun range and they shot like demonstrated and then they gave out two of the targets and I got one of them. Oh. So I have one of the targets. And you, you decided you never wanted to be an FBI target? Well, no. Well, no, because his shots were <laughs> yeah, pretty darn accurate. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like learned my lesson. And it was like a machine gun. So, so anyway, uh, Lincoln, that's our uh, little ode to, to Lincoln who passes away yeah. this week. Yes. He would have been like 210 if he'd lived. <laughs> <laughs> That is our adventure in history. Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. We're, we're happy to be here with you and have a great week. Go make some history. Thank you for joining us for an adventure in history. An adventure in history is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.